I hope that what this um, time does for us is blows open these like sort of myopic views of success that we've sort of held onto and set and, and help us all as artists to go deep into what is my unique contribution then? What will I contribute? What will my voice look like? Welcome to Arts Engines. I'm your host, Aaron Dworkin, and I'm so excited to welcome as today's guest, Ashley Hall, who serves as career coaching manager, as well as a professor of trumpet at the Longy School of Music, which is also our creative partner helping us co-curate for today's show. Ashley, welcome to Arts Engines. Thank you so much. It's so nice to meet you, Aaron. Uh, well, it's great to be able to connect. And so, you know, I actually wanted to kind of just start off to get a better sense of kind of your own background. And actually, I was curious, how did you initially get into trumpet and choosing trumpet? Uh, and then, of course, I'd love to know kind of how, of course, you uh, ultimately uh, landed your wonderful role at Longy. But just that initial beginning, especially for a number of our, uh, of our viewers who might be thinking about what to tackle as an instrument for our younger viewers. Sure. So I grew up in Southwest Virginia, and my mom has a degree in French horn and music ed. And so we always had instruments lying around our house. And I grew up listening to Herbert L. Clark and the cornet solos. And I said to my mom, that's the instrument I want to play. That feels like the right thing. So um, in the fifth grade, she started me making a sound and figuring out you know, what I needed to do. And it actually took off pretty quickly. It really felt like my voice. It felt like um, I was home. And so throughout my high school years, I did a lot of competitions. I went to the Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music and majored in trumpet performance there. And then, um, yeah, that's how I found the trumpet. It never was a question for me. And in fact, I remember at one point my band director thinking, you know, we really need French horns in our band. Your mom plays? That seems pretty logical. And I was like, no, this is my voice. This is where I fit. So that was it for me. That's awesome. And I always love when, you know, you hear musicians talking about how they found their voice through mm -hmm. their, their instrument. I know for, yeah. for me and the violin at a young age, it was just, it was how I could speak uh, yeah. to others. So for sure. So ultimately, how did things kind of uh, lead so that you would be able to be a professor uh, of trumpet at Longy? Sure. So after Cincinnati, I um, won a job with the Dayton Philharmonic Orchestra and played for a few years as third trumpet with the orchestra. And I started to have some embouchure issues at that point. Started a bit in my undergrad and then really got worse as I was doing much higher level solo work. And so I found a professor um, in Boston who taught at Longy, who I knew was really good at addressing both the heart mental sides of this type of work and the physical sides of this work. And he happened to be the professor at Longy. I had never heard of Longy until that point. And so in 2005, I took a two year leave from my orchestra job and moved up to Cambridge and started an artist diploma at Longy and re recognized at that point that this was a really special school and it felt really synergic to who I was as a person, its mission even then was preparing musicians to make a difference in the world, which was 
so um, intertwined with my own life and my own um, work as a musician that was interested in social change. And so um, it felt like an amazing fit and the perfect environment for me to do this work that I needed to do on myself and on my playing. So I met Karen Zorn, our president. Um, she was there my second year, started my second year when I was an artist diploma student. And we stayed in touch all the way through from the time I graduated in 2007 to the time that I came back on the scene in 2019. Um, she followed me kind of on social media and we would just periodically check in with each other. And my path as a trumpet player, I won a job in the Cincinnati Chamber Orchestra. I was doing a lot of solo work and chamber work. And then I started to say, if there were other things that I wanted to do with my life, and if I were to, to meet a need that I saw um, in the university jobs that I'd had before, what would that look like? And what I noticed in students at conservatories was they didn't have enough space in their lives in conservatory training to really think about who they were, what they valued on a deep level beyond just like, I want to play in an orchestra or I want a solo career. And I, I saw that once they graduated, they sort of had this like, who am I now? What do I do now? So I thought for me, I was going through my own reckoning in terms of what I wanted to do and what I valued. And I thought I would go the clinical counseling direction, thinking that that was my next sort of additional um, career path in addition to doing music. And when my husband and I and our family recognized that we were gonna be moving back to Boston, I reached out to Karen and I said, you know, I still really believe in Longy and the mission of the school. Um, I would love to work here in some capacity. What are you all up to? And we sat down that day and she explained to me that they were doing um, a brand new um, curriculum that's kind of an overhaul of the traditional model of how we've trained musicians in the past and, and basically blowing it wide open and saying, we know that everyone has a unique voice and our job as a music conservatory is to allow you the space to really cultivate that voice and to figure out what else might intersect in your life that might bring you to a place of feeling much more whole as a human. And so we're going to give you a curriculum that's much more open-ended to allow you to make those choices. And I said, well, gosh, that sounds like the missing link for me of what I've been seeing in conservatory education. Um, and she said, but the thing that we really need is a coaching program that is sort of the thread that takes these students from the beginning of their time at Longy into this, I know I want to only play in an orchestra. That's my only path into this more expansive view of what might also be possible for them. And so she said, it sounds like maybe coaching is the next thing for you. What would you think about designing and managing a coaching program that doesn't exist? <laughs> and so I said, yes, I do think that's what I want to do next. And um, so they basically handed me the reins and said, what do you wish that you had had in your conservatory training? What have you seen that's been missing along the way, not just in like counseling and helping people deal with their past, but let's just say we were to take them right now and help them with this open-ended view of, of questioning that doesn't presume that we have the answers on what is right for them and allow them the space to really discover that. And then to, to allow them the space even further to choose classes based on what they discover. Yeah. So that's what they let me do. And so that's what I get to do now. 
This is, this is, it's absolutely awesome. It's extraordinary. Thanks so much too for sharing kind of this trajectory and how it came about because I think a lot of times some of our, of our, you know, or people who represent organizations who are watching the show are like, oh, okay, well, they have that program. Well, how did it come about or how could we kind of start it? So hearing that story, I think is, is, is really great. And of course, I think this is so powerful. I loved kind of you mentioned too, just about this idea and that and that Longi is this place where it's, you know, what will be your impact as a musician? Reminds me of a musician who shared with me, they were well into their career, they had done a lot of soloing, <clears throat> and they shared that, you know, I used to want to impress my audiences, yeah. and now I want to impact my audiences. Yeah. And this way in which we're often trained in traditional conservatory settings to just impress, to have nailed it, right? As opposed yeah. to have moved someone. And just kind of wondering in this kind of context is, is you think about just, uh, you know, any, all of our viewers who are, who are students right now in music schools, conservatories, what would be your advice uh, if they were to say, you know, how should I be thinking about my music. I, I feel this one thing, I've got to get the big orchestra job or get the big, you know, uh, teaching job at a university, right? That's, uh, so shouldn't I just be focused on that? Or what's the, what's your main point of advice that you would share? Oh, there's just so much there that comes to mind for me. I mean, I think the bottom line is we have to continue to focus on the why behind our music making. What is it that keeps us coming back to our instruments every day? I think in 2020, it's been hard to sort of remain connected to that because we miss this human side of what we do. But I would say if we can get out of this, this posture of we're performing for you and you're bystanders to our art and into this space of we are here to have a connection with you through the power and beauty of music, it can transform us as performers because then we're allowing the art and our presence with the art to serve our audience and then it's reciprocal rather than hierarchical right. um, you know it makes me think of this quote that I use a lot it's right here in my office by a theologian by the name of Howard Thurman but it just says don't ask what the world needs ask what makes you come alive and go and do it because what the world needs are people who have come alive so I think if we can figure out ways for our music and our lives and the way that we engage with our audiences to make us feel like the most alive versions of ourselves, then it takes that perfectionism pressure off because then it's a gift. That's my best advice. Wow, it, amazing advice. <laughs> thank, you, <laughs> thank you so much for that. Yeah. Um, so one of the things, of course, we're right, we're now in this new era of time, who knows what the future will bring as it relates to the pandemic and all of that. Um, and a lot of people like to talk about where, you know, there will be a new normal or things like that. I'm curious for, you know, aspiring musicians, are there things that you feel are different now? Advice or, or guidance or feedback you give now about career that would have been different six months ago or, or eight months ago? Do you feel like there are certain things that have actually changed in terms of the future career opportunities for musicians? I think we're not going to know the answer to that yet, but what I do think hasn't changed for me is goes back to my previous answer, is that music will always be essential to the fabric of our societies. We will always have people making music, and it's beautiful, and it's what 
um, I would say, you know, as we think about this feeling of what adds beauty and life to our world, it comes down to this art and this, this music that will come forth. Will it look different? Yeah, it might. But I hope that what this um, time does for us is blows open these like sort of myopic views of success that we've sort of held onto and set and, and help us all as artists to go deep into what is my unique contribution then? What will I contribute? What will my voice look like? It sort of takes me back to that Brene Brown quote of the only unique contribution that we will make in the world will be born out of our creativity. So I think for a lot of people, although this time has been incredibly hard and we can't talk about 2020, I think, without um, this feeling of grief that is upon us because we've lost a lot. Um, at the same time, I think out of any grief or letting go comes this feeling of possibility of birth and new life. And so, yeah, it'll look different, but I think that's actually kind of a good thing. And I think it's going to be a beautiful evolution of whatever is and whatever we design in this next season. All right. So. Awesome. Awesome. No, I, I'm, I am sitting feeling inspired <laughs> to you. Uh, deeply so. Um, and so I'm curious for you, kind of you're, you're, you're doing this balance of all of the coaching, career coaching, really preparing students, which is a significant responsibility. Um, and then obviously your teaching as well. And, and, uh, and I'm curious with all of these things going on, how do you find inspiration? How do you, when things seem tough, when things seem kind of insurmountable, wh where do you find kind of that core of, of strength to keep moving forward? I mean, for me personally, it's grounded in my faith. I go back to uh, the, my journals and I take a real deep self look at um, gratitude, what I'm thankful for each day. Um, I, Let's see, I, I mean, I exercise, I um, play with my kids, I go on walks in nature, and that reminds me of this connection of something that's much more um, large than I am. Um, and even in the midst of this, I try to have meaningful conversations, like the one we're having right now that I feel so honored to be a part of, that um, make me feel grounded and okay each day, when sometimes it's hard to get to that space. So those are some of my things. Everybody has their own ways of digging deep, but I think it's really important to figure out what those are and to come back to them. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is, it's truly extraordinary work that you're doing. I think this is so critically important how we're preparing the next generation of artists, of musicians. Um, and looking at what we're doing as, as a field. And, and, and I hope that many of our viewers will, will reach out and see ways to collaborate with the work that, that you're doing at, at Longy. I think it's so, so critically important. Uh, unfortunately, we're just out of time, but before we close, I actually, because I'm really kind of curious if there was one piece, and I know this is always difficult in our field, but if there was one piece of music that you would suggest me, our audience, um, should listen to during this time. We've got a moment and, you know, here is something, a piece you may not have listened to or listened to this way. What would be your suggestion to leave us with? 
Oh, okay. Can I give you two things? One musical, one non-musical? Of course, absolutely. The musical one that comes to mind is a unique one, and it's by a composer by the name of Marcus Stockhausen. He's the son of Karl Heinz Stockhausen, quite famous, and he wrote a piece um, called A Miniature of a Soul's Journey. He originally wrote it for trumpet, flugelhorn, and the cellist of the Berlin Philharmonic, and it is a beautifully moving and powerful composition um, that's probably not very well known. Um, that comes to mind first. And then the um, bit of inspiration that I go to that sort of reminds me of the fact that music is a gift is um, by the name of Rich Madison, and he's a jazz euphonium player. And when he was dying from cancer, he went to a music conservatory and shared this short little speech that you can find on YouTube. And it's just simply music is a gift. And it just reminds you of the fact that we as musicians have a superpower and it's to grant immortality to composers. Without the air of our body and the vibration of our string, these composers' music would just be a graph. But because of the gift that we have with our instruments, we grant immortality to their music. And what a gift that is. And it helps me shift the lens out of this like, oh, into this place of, wow, what an abundant, beautiful gift it is to make music. Ashley Hall, you truly are one of the great arts engines that is powering creativity in our field. Thank you so much for joining us on Arts Engines. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.